Welcome to episode 82 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers and that means we love looking up in the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who enjoys going out under the stars and seeing the universe for themselves. How was your week, Shane? It was good. Yeah, uh, my good. last week of vacation. So um, I enjoyed every minute of it. I wish I was there with you. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. But uh, I think we were a bit, uh, well, we, we played and uh, I should say we, we read um, and played with a lot of the observations that folks sent us in for the handbook uh, entry last week. Um, but one of the things we had hoped to get to was, uh, was Phil's observation there and uh, didn't know if you wanted to kind of give that of a, a bit of a preamble here before we get going. Yeah, for sure. So the last two episodes, we we focused entirely on on the listener observation logs that were submitted uh, in the book draw for the RASC 2021 Observer's Handbook. And, um, you know, I think we referenced Phil uh, that, you know, he submits um, a lot of audio messages to us and a number of them have observation reports in them. Uh, but Phil did, uh, did submit um, an observation report specifically for the book draw, which, uh, you know, my apologies, uh, we didn't play. Um, part of it was, you know, we ran out of time, but another part of it was all of the other observation logs that were submitted were written logs or typed logs. So it was yeah, easy to copy and paste. Yeah, which, which yep. is easy to copy and paste into my spreadsheet. Um, the audio log uh, was a bit of an oversight on my part. You know, it was, uh, it just didn't, it didn't kind of blend in with the rest. So, uh, again, my apologies that we didn't play it. We're going to play it now. Um, I think it's a, a really cool observation. And, and it also is a, a cool format to record or log your observations. Yeah. Um, some people do use voice recorders at the eyepiece. Don't you do this? Like, is it you uh, that does this? I contemplated it, but I've never okay. done it. Because um, I do I do have, uh, there's somebody that I, I was observing with that, uh, that did this all the time. And I couldn't, you know... <laughs> It blurs in my mind because, of course, it's dark and I can't remember who was. <laughs> somebody was doing it uh, quite a bit. Maybe it might have been. I used to do a lot of observing with uh, one of the past presidents of the uh, of the National RASC, and uh, I think he he did it. Now that now that I'm thinking thinking it through, um, I guess he's like the past past president now. Um, but we used to we used to live uh, in in the same area, and we would do some observing together. I'm pretty sure he recorded all his. Now that I think about it. Yeah. used to drive me crazy. There's <laughs> <laughs> somebody talking. <laughs> like mumbling under his breath. Yeah, yeah. I, I've considered doing the, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, considered doing the audio log because, you know, the challenges of writing or sketching at the eyepiece is the light. You know, you need some kind of red light and sometimes that's a pain and to try to, you know, have pointed at the right spot. Um, so I've thought about the audio log. Uh, the reason I really haven't done it is... I, I just don't want to have to go back indoors and have to listen to, you know, Yourself. 30 minutes or whatever me talking. <laughs> exactly. You know, so I just, uh, for that reason, I've never done it, but I do know some people do it. And, and I think it's a great way or another great way to log your observations. Um, so why don't we have a listen to Phil's recording? I think it's about nine minutes and yep. it's his attempt uh, at, well, maybe a bit of a spoiler here, successful attempt at splitting Polaris. 
Good morning, good evening and good night. This is Phil from the UK, an observing report of splitting a double. Chris, Shane, I hope you're doing well and all the listeners, I hope you had a lovely Christmas, a somewhat different Christmas than we're used to, but I hope that you could take some time to rest and relax those stressed out minds and bodies and souls over this time. Uh, I hope everybody's safe and doing the best that they can in these troubled times. Um, This is my observation of splitting Polaris. Polaris A and its companion star. Now, it was the 19th of December and the um, reporting, the, the weather reporting application that I use is called, um, what's it called? Clear, clear Outside. It's um, a weather app by Flow from the UK, Field Light Optics. First Light Optics, sorry, not Field Light. Uh, First Light Optics. It's uh, It's been very, very good for me and relatively incredibly accurate. Now, we had a 30, 38% um, coverage of the moon, um, but I timed it as it set at half past 10. I was getting out at around about 11. So 11 o'clock, I started to um, um, acclimatise my scope. The scope that I'm using is my SM76. It's a 76mm f4 reflector with a focal length of 300mm. Now, the time was around about 11. Band back then, it was about 35% cloud cover with mainly high, but some medium and low cloud cover as well. Um, the visibility was 10. The temperature was 7 degrees Celsius, a dew point of 6, and a northeasterly wind of around about 13 mile an hour. So, relatively speaking, um, it, was, it wasn't too bad at all, really. Um, I will say that the seeing, in my opinion, varied between 6 out of 10 going up to fleeting moments of, I'd say, 8 out of 10. Um, So it wasn't too bad at all, really. Um, I am at a Class 4 Bortle site, and the estimated sky quality was 20.95, which wasn't too bad, really, at all. Um, So my splitting... Um, I, as I said, I acclimatised my scope and I went out there with a 22mm aspheric eyepiece. Couldn't split it. Tried a 10mm aspheric, couldn't split it. And then I went to the 4mm TMB and still, still no splitty splitty. Um, I wondered why this was and I don't really normally move my scope around. But um, being as it's Christmas and it is a tabletop Dobsonian... Uh, it has been moved around a little bit. So I decided at this point that I haven't experienced these kind of focusing issues. So what i done was I recollimated it. And then I tried again. Um, the 22mm aspheric was giving me 13.5 power roughly. Still couldn't split it. The 10mm aspheric was 30 power. Couldn't split it. And the 4mm was 75 power and I still couldn't split it. Although I will say that the focusing was much better now. I just couldn't get that fine, fine focus that I needed. Um, fine adjustment, should I say, needed to split this. 
Um, I believe Polaris and its companion B have a distance, uh, relative distance of 18 arc seconds between. So it's not uh, very close, but it's not that far apart either. Um, so what I decided to do was um, I had one last little trick up my sleeve here. Um, I went over to Vega and I'll premise this by saying when I rebuilt the focuser on my Supermod, um, there's a part, I, I don't know the actual name of it, but basically it's the eyepiece holder that sits on top of the draw tube that is actually screwed into the draw tube. Now, clearly this wasn't meant for this purpose, but me being me, thought I always want one in the bag. <laughs> so I actually cleaned the threads of this eyepiece holder with a little thumb screw. Uh, not on the thumb screw part, but on the actual draw tube threads. And I lined it with a couple of wraps of PTFE tape um, so that I could actually use this um, eyepiece holder um, as a very fine um, addition to my focusing, my rack and pinion focuser. Now, up to this point, I've never had to use this. Um, but last night was the night. Um, so I managed to get a really, a relatively good focus um, on Vega with my TMB planetary eyepiece. So I, I slewed back over to Polaris. And lo and behold, drum roll please, I split Polaris and the Companion Star. Now, when I say I split it, I most definitely split it. Um, but this was in moments of fleeting um, seeing. The glow around Polaris was just stunning. She was beautiful. Um, there was a real ember to Polaris last night. Um, now, the companion star, Polaris B, I assume that's how we say it, Polaris B, uh, I'm new to this um, double star business, um, was in the glow of Polaris. It was just on the outer field of the glow. Now, the companion star was around about the three o'clock position um, from Polaris itself. Now, the core of Polaris, um, I would say, as at a guess, was probably ten times bigger than the companion star. Um, just looking through the eyepiece. Um, so, yeah, I I managed to with the very crude helical focus, fine helical focuser of the eyepiece attachment on top of the draw tube. I was actually able to use that to aid my focusing. And yeah, I managed to split Polaris with my 76mm um, F4 reflector. It's the first time I have split something that close together. And I have to say, with all the talk of 
splitting stars and the conjunction coming up. I think it's something that is somewhat overlooked um, by many people, me included. And I think I will most definitely be taking more note of um, these very interesting um, stars. Because not only because it's Polaris, because it is the North Star um, in Ursa Minor, but the more I, I look at constellations, the more that at the first glance you can just see, uh, you know, stars like in Ursa Major. You can see the Big Dipper and it's great. And then you look closer and you think, wow, there's actually Mizar and Alcor and you can split that with a pair of binoculars easily um but until you actually look at some of these um stars itself a lot of the sky and this is from a, a a beginner point point of view a lot of the sky has a lot more to offer than at first it actually seems so i feel like i've um not only succeeded in splitting polaris but given myself another great avenue of interest to look at in astronomy. So that was my observation. This is Phil from the UK. Stay safe and clear skies. Signing off. So we had just listened to it um, there even before the show. Uh, each of us, each of us took a listen, and I, I did really enjoy the way that uh, that Phil talked uh, about uh, about his attempt at splitting it. Um, and I think I think what I liked the most about this observation is how he detailed not seeing it at first and then kind of stepped us through what he, what he had to do to see it. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Two things stood out for me that one um, because uh, I think we've all been there before where you're trying to find an object or split a double or whatever it might be and you're not successful. And I like that he didn't give up. He came back to it, made some adjustments um, you know, even just the kind of the experience or the logical approach of noticing that the focus wasn't quite right and then making uh, yeah. some, some kind of helical focuser to, to get a fine focus is a, a great, you know, great sort of pivot. Yeah. Um, the other thing though, that I really I like, how you put also, helical, I like how you put helical focuser and pivot in the same sentence. That was well done. <laughs> that was uh, pure luck. <laughs> um, what I like though, so that super mod, so it's a Celestron first scope is a 76 millimeter aperture. But what I didn't realize uh, is that the central obstruction is 38% of the, of the overall aperture, hmm. um, which is huge. Um, a lot of Newtonians, the central obstruction, so that's the secondary mirror, is usually around like 20 to maybe 25%. Um, and what that means is that central mirror is blocking that amount of light from, from, you know, reaching the mirror essentially. Yeah. So 38% um, means that that 76 millimeter telescope has about 48 millimeters of effective aperture um, and splitting Polaris with 48 millimeters. I, you know, that's, that's not an easy feat. I don't think like, I, I believe that's a pretty good observation. Oh Yeah. That is, uh, that's a really, that, that was a really good observation um, for many, many reasons. One, size of the instrument, um, it's not going to be easy. And, uh, and then the way that he, that he walked us through it. And uh, 
sounded like it was was it 70x that is 70 magnification or so that he he finally was able to split it using yeah i think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so so that that makes some sense there um and i kind of like how we detail what he did to the focuser and then and this is the other thing um that i did really like about phil's observation is he talked about sort of going to i think he went to vaga and then went back is that what he is that yes. what he did if yeah. i'm calling correctly and um and and you know kind of tune things that way and that's what i'll do as well like like you were saying no matter what it is like say for example i'm trying to find um a really faint deep sky object um maybe maybe i go for that first like let's just say i went for that first and i don't see it right and mm. and so so one thing and i will point this out is that um typically like i, I won't get frustrated because i almost like don't expect to see things right away like things that are challenging and mm. uh and kind of embrace that challenge and to me that's like a big part of the fun but with uh with some observers i used to observe with this this person and he uh he would get uh, rather frustrated and i don't know if you ever played golf i was never a very good golfer but i remember you'd be out in the course and inevitably you'd you'd run into that person that has to uh, use a swear word every time they hit the ball kind of thing and and it was sort of like the astronomical equivalent of that <laughs> but anyway it is yeah. yeah um but yeah like if if i'm trying to see something really faint i like to look at really faint stuff that's sort of my my thing um say I don't see it, then maybe I'll go to something that's that, that I know that I should be able to see that I've seen before and then kind of kind of go back to it or maybe go back and forth or maybe I'll start with some brighter nebula. Like if I was trying to see like a new really faint nebula, I might start with something like the Orion Nebula and kind of really get my scope properly focused and tuned in on that and then go to something a little bit fainter that I, that I always can see like maybe... Uh, NGC 2024 or something like that. And then maybe Barnard's loop. And then maybe like, if I was going to try for the horse set, I'd, I'd try for it at that point. Um, but if you try for like the really tough thing or the thing that you haven't seen before right off, uh, sometimes you, you will not, uh, not be successful in your observations. And, uh, and it's so great that Phil detailed it that way and really made me think about it that way, because uh, I used to go over observing logs for awarding certificates in the RASC. And, uh, and in talking to a lot of observers, sometimes you would see that where they would try for an object, not see it, and then go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. They would not come back to it until subsequent nights or maybe subsequent seasons because they had a, a spell of bad weather or busyness in life. Um, so it is kind of key to kind of, you know, sort of, sort of work the problem and then make the observation and then kind of learn from that and move ahead. Because I think when people uh, like Phil uh, and, and people like you and I make that, that realization and are able to kind of progress through obser observing and, and embrace the challenges of observing, and I think that's a big part of the fun, um, then you're kind of able to kind of up your game a little bit. And I mean, hearing somebody split Polaris with, uh, with pretty much about the smallest reflector you can get is is truly uh truly an interesting uh thing to hear yeah for sure maybe while we're just on this topic of trying to see things and you know objects that might be a little bit challenging another thing i like to do uh well a couple things i like to do um is uh just kind of shake the telescope a little bit you know a little bit left to right um sometimes that excites the eye a little bit and you're able to see you know some some of this faintness that's out there um, mm -hmm. And another thing I like to do is just rack my focuser in and out. Like even if I have perfect focus, I'll intentionally, you know, defocus it a lot 
and then mm-hmm. bring it back to focus uh, quickly. Or, and, and sometimes that helps me to tease out a little bit of detail or, or to see a faint sure. object. Yeah. 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 I think it's uh, something to do with the evolution um, of, uh, of humans that we do pick up objects in motion more so than objects uh, not in motion because like when, you know, sort of quote unquote, the, the animal is pouncing on you in the dark, you, your body is fine tuned to picking up those, uh, <laughs> those motions than, uh, than objects that are still, which tend to be not as, as much of an imminent threat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and maybe yeah. just to, to wrap up the, the listener observations, um, we received additional emails um, post those episodes about, oh, did we? Uh, yeah, just about how people really enjoyed hearing other observation logs. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw one of those anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed uh, reading them and, and receiving them. And it's something that we'll probably look to do again at some point in the future. Um, although, you know, you don't have to wait either for our next book giveaway or whatever it might be in the future. Oh yeah. If you have some yeah. observation logs, we, we love hearing them. We love reading yeah. them. Um, sure. So send them to us and maybe what we'll do, depending on, you know, how many we receive here and there um, is maybe we just, every episode we read one or two or something like that. We'll, yeah. We'll I'd see, love that. We'll see what comes yeah. In. Yeah. 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 No, that, that would be great. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, and enjoy hearing and, and reading about that as well. Um, you know, and, and again, I think I mentioned this in one of the recent episodes, but, but maybe I didn't. Um, and that is that, uh, like, this isn't like the, the, uh, you know, typical hierarchical, uh, podcast where we're like these experts and then people are writing us for answers. <laughs> it's not like that at all. We're sort of just regular amateur astronomers. We're not professionals or anything like that. And, and we're really just sharing our observations. We know that there's, you know, loads of people and, you know, I think we do get a few hundred people listening every week now, um, you know, all over the world that are doing observations. And, uh, and I think somebody did write, um, you know, from, from areas a little bit further south. And actually, I, I think the person who, who won the handbook is, is actually significantly further south than we are, at least somewhat, um, that they would see, uh, or enough that they would see more in different stars than us. Um, and it would, be, it would be interesting to kind of get, uh, get some of those southern, southern sky observations uh, as well. And as we're doing... As we're doing our um, podcast, as we move into the future, and we kind of see where people are writing from, um, I think one thing that we are trying to do, Shane, is is to say, okay, well, this isn't visible here where we are, <laughs> but but is it visible from where uh, you know that person who wrote us from Japan uh, mm-hmm. is? Uh, you know, like I was looking at this this uh, you know it's a conjunction coming up in the next year, and I'm like, well, will that be visible for that person who wrote from there? or fill in the UK or the, the person uh, who's in India that that's written us. Um, and so I'm trying to, trying to do that. So, but you know, it's fine. Like if, if I don't quite get it um, you know, people can let me know and I'm happy to, uh, to try to make the corrections. I'm not really good with time changes. So I always get mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I also appreciated um, uh, like definitely some learnings for me through this process too. And, and, uh, Larry, who is, I think from Japan or lives in Japan mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. um, in a recent email just sent Friday, um, told, so I'll just read it out here. So it says, by the way, Shane, speaking of, uh, Theta, uh, Arige, uh, there's a section of sky nearby that you might want to check out. 
About seven degrees away from uh, Theta Arrigae is UU Arrigae, a small carbon star, a really beautiful red. And very yep. close by, almost in the same finder view, are two double stars, Struve 928 and 929, and a triple system, Struve 147. Uh, being able uh, to all this so close together is truly awe-inspiring. Um, so, you know, that's, it's on my list now. I, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, check that out. Yeah, I think I, so I wrote an article on Origa. Uh, it was actually the first, I think it was the first observing article I wrote for the Observer's Handbook. And I think it might've been 2011 or something okay. like that. Um, anyway, so if, if anybody has older copies of the RASC Observer's Handbook, um, and in fact, I think my articles, all the, all the ones that I do, I do for free, and they go out as PDFs uh, at rasc.ca, rasc.ca, and you may be able to find it on there. So I did a, like a tour of, uh, of Ariga, and so I, I do um, a good chunk of the writing, and then my, my friend Randall Rosenthal, he does the, uh, the sketch and the, and the image um, for the finder charts and the different things that, that we, we can see there. And so many people have kind of written in and talking about uh, Origa. So if people do want to want to find that, I'll see if I can, I'll see if I can dig that up, maybe on the break. And, uh, and if it is available, maybe we can just tweet that out. Yeah, for sure. That'd be cool. Did you get any observing in this week? Oh, what a weird week. It uh, was a weird week here. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so, so, um, I received that TASCO 10 TE that I've uh, been talking about here for a couple of weeks oh, yeah. now. And, um, this is the 70 millimeter refractor. Is that 70, 76.2 millimeter? It's that point two that's going to, that's going to allow you to split Polaris. Yeah. It, it blew the 76 millimeter tack mm. out of the water. No, it didn't. <laughs> But um, it also has a 1,200 millimeter focal length, which is wow. just ridiculously long. 48 inches, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it took me three attempts to get first light this week. Um, so attempt number one, uh, the, the cl uh, clear sky clock, astrophoric, like everything was saying clear tonight. I forget which night that was, a Monday or something, I'm not sure. Um, and I put the telescope out after supper to cool down a little bit, had supper, got all bundled up, went outside and there's no stars in the sky. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was cloudy. And like none of the forecasts had predicted this. I, I, it was so strange to me. So uh, that was frustrating. Um, then the next night, or I, again, I probably should have written down some dates here, but uh, the next time I attempted, um, this, the sky was pretty bad, um, despite, again, you know, forecasts promising good conditions. Um, but I thought I want, you know, I want to see how this telescope will perform, assuming it does perform. And um, what uh, it, the, the telescope failed me actually that night. Um, so some of these old telescopes, like you have your focuser too. Um, and then the, some of the older ones have another draw tube inside and the Tasco 10 TE is an example of that. And this draw tube will come out about, I don't know, I'd say 12 to 14 inches to extend the focal length even more hmm. and to achieve focus. Um, if you're doing terrestrial viewing or depending on your configuration. Mm -hmm. So you would, you would use this draw tube for kind of the, the course focus, and then you'd use the focusing knobs for your 
you know, I guess find focus. Um, but if you want to use inch and a quarter eyepieces on these telescopes, you have to remove this fairly long draw tube. It, it just can't be in the focal uh, uh, path anymore. Yeah. So that was gone. And with it disappearing, I couldn't reach focus in this telescope anymore. Um, I didn't have enough back focus. And uh, so I came inside and I thought, do I have any adapters? How can I make this work? And uh, I couldn't think of any solution. So I took all my winter gear off, brought the telescope indoors. And then it dawned on me that I, I have a, uh, uh, it's a camera, uh, like kind of variable extension thing that goes into the inch and a quarter focuser. Um, it has a T2 threaded end on it, but I have a T2, um, eyepiece holder that I can just screw onto that. So that was the solution. Um, but because I had come indoors, I was done for the night. Uh, so fast forward to last night, um, I was able to take the 10 TE out with this, uh, camera extension in it. Um, and lo and behold, I was able to finally get focus, <laughs> Um, but you know, again, last night, the conditions, according to astrophoric and, you know, everything else said, it's going to be a pretty good night, but it was awful. Terrible. <laughs> Seeing was terrible. Uh, the transparency was slightly less terrible. Um, I did about 60 minutes, 65 minutes. Um, it was, it was about minus 18 with the wind, but I was able to duck out of the wind. So that was good. Um, but when I was done after about an hour, like I had a pretty thick coating of frost on the telescope already. Um, oh yeah. It, it was, was, it was nasty, yeah. but you I, know what? Oh God. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I, I didn't observe last night. I went out for a walk and uh, I was actually looking at Cirrus and just naked eye, which is the brightest star in our sky, unless you count the sun. Um, and it was, it was just like, like strobing. Like it looked almost like a, like a really bright um, light on a plane. Like the, like you're right. The transparency was, was pretty good, but I just couldn't believe how, how much the stars were just like flickering um, and dancing. Like you could see them like shimmering, like you could like visually, visually see uh, Cirrus, like sort of like moving and zigzagging a little bit in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so my wife and I, after supper, we were just, <clears throat> excuse me, sitting in our living room and, um, I was looking out our main windows, which is a view of the Eastern sky. And, uh, uh, it was about 7 PM. And my plan was to go out, at, go outside at around seven 30. Um, and at seven, I, I said, where did this cloud come from? Because the, the sky just, it had some glow to it. Like it, it looked like it was reflecting, you know, light pollution yeah. essentially. Yeah. And, um, so my wife fog. was letting the, yeah, my wife was letting the dog out. So she poked her head out and said, no, no, I can see stars. It's not cloudy. Um, but anyway, it was just a reflection of how bad the sky was. Oh, like um, we, so I'm a little bit lower than you and it was fog. It was like, we actually had fog here kind of came in and then, and then it was in, um, from about six, which is when it gets dark right now here. Um, and it lasted until about uh, eight. And then it kind of, it kind of precipitated down as I think that was the frost that you were getting was yeah, some yeah. of this fog and in, in the lower areas kind of drifting up to you. 
Yeah, yeah. I was snowshoeing all afternoon. And um, when I was driving back into the city, you could just see this little bit of haze. And that was like at 4.30 in the afternoon. It was, it was a strange weather day. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Despite all of this, I actually had some fun with the 10 TE. It was kind of a nice. fun session. Um, I was able to look at M42, um, you know, extensive nebulosity, although no real detail within the nebulosity, but, mm -hmm. um, within the city, that's about as good as it gets. Um, the trapezium was discernible, but the C and D were kind of fleeting, uh, to separate with yeah. know, how bad the seeing was. Um, uh, I took a look at Sigma or, or Orionis, I guess, yep. um, I was able to see the, the three stars quite easily, but there's a fourth star that's a part of that multiple star system um, that I couldn't see. And that one's the, uh, the tougher one. Um, but Split, Mintaka, Polaris, Castor. Um, what else? Oh, the 28 millimeter RKE eyepiece. I have one and I've hated it pretty much the entire time I've owned it uh, because the eye placement is so like so specific. Um, if your eye is not perfectly centered over that eyepiece, it just blacks out. And I, I never use it as a result. Um, but I put it into the Tasco and it was actually really, really good. Um, I didn't have those blackout issues. Eye relief is great. Um, and it is kind of a, a neat eyepiece with how it presents the image. Uh, like people say, it almost looks like you're watching TV. And it does because like, like the field stop and, and like just the edge of the eyepiece is almost invisible. You just sort of see this big piece of glass and then whatever the telescope is pointed at. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, that, that was interesting to me that all of a sudden this eyepiece works well in a 1200 millimeter focal length telescope. Mm -hmm. um, some mechanical things, the focuser needs some attention. It, it just wasn't working really all that well. It was a little loose. So I'm going to mess around with that. Um, and then maybe some, some problems that I should have predicted, but I didn't, um, with a tube that long and like, I have long arms, you know, I, uh, most people, your, your wingspan is about the same distance as, as your height. So if you're six feet tall, you know, your wingspan will be six feet. Um, my wingspan is a few inches longer than my height is. So, you know, long arms. And with this telescope, I, I could barely reach the slow motion controls on the mount. Wow. Um, and then looking at Zenith, I was sitting on the ground uh, to look through this thing because, you know, the back end of that telescope is, is quite a ways down. And, uh, you know, again, just should have anticipated that, but I didn't and uh, thought I'd mention that. And then the last part of my report here is I was using the, uh, the SkyT mount and um, I have to replace the grease on it. Um, any, anybody who observes in the cold probably knows this, um, but a lot of the, like the grease that comes in, in mounts in particular um, isn't really made for real cold temperatures like uh, minus 18 uh, last night. And in, in the colder temperatures, it kind of gets real sticky and just doesn't move as nice. So that'll probably be more of a springtime project to remove mm -hmm. all the, the factory grease and then put some better cold weather stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, but that's for it sure. for me. How, how was your week, Chris? It, yeah, I mean, I almost feel like I got to say I didn't do any observing, which is never entirely true. Um, 
I just did some some binocular observing. Um, but again, like I was trying, I really wanted to get the uh, the grouping of uh, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mercury, which are in the uh, very southwestern or you know uh, that area of the sky, because um, they're getting into a spot here over the next. Well, I think last night and the night before, and then for the next night or two, they're going to be in a five degree uh, binocular field um, until Wednesday. So I think this podcast comes out on, on Monday. So on Monday evening, it, it'll be visible in the, in the Southwest. Um, but I could just get Jupiter. Um, and then the clouds, like, and it was sort of between clouds and the clouds were just totally thick after that. So there was no point. It was just, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just game over. Um, but like I said, they're going to be hanging out for, for a while together, uh, in that Southwestern sky. And, uh, I did put a, put an image, uh, up in the, uh, in the notes, uh, if you want to tweet that out. Um, sure. yeah. So other, other than that, uh, nothing much. Um, I'm kind of just really prepping for the, uh, I got my astronomy class starting, starting this week. So, uh, going to be busy uh over the next five weeks with that and then i'm doing two usually i do one eight week uh course but uh i'm going to do two four-week courses plus i'm doing uh, an introductory presentation this coming thursday and then i'll do four um wednesday sessions and then have two or three weeks off and then i do four uh thursday sessions so um you know it should be should be pretty busy because i i teach uh a course for my uh for my regular job on the uh on thursday late afternoons uh but i think that finishes on or about the second week of of march so i think i i think i've lined things up properly finally at long last so i'm not yeah. teaching like four or five hours in a day <laughs> so yeah 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 that's, that's that's good that's always that's always good so i saw you sent me a telescope ad for a celestron comic catcher are you planning on making this purchase or are you no. trying to instigate me to buy one <laughs> just trying to instigate you i i know you've kind of had your eye on, on this yeah. style of telescopes so uh the price was right thought i'd the send price it your is way. right yeah yeah we'll we'll see yeah we'll we'll see um trying not to buy anything right now so I'm trying to trying to save up for my image stabilized binoculars oh, so yes. Uh, yes. yeah I, I do really want to want to get a pair a pair of those so the uh, the Celestron comic catcher they're an older reflector um I think they were made in about 84 for uh Halley's comet okay and uh they're about five inches or more they're 140 millimeters and what makes them unique is they're very fast. They're f three point six or thereabouts. And uh, instead of having used like a coma corrector, you put in the uh, the telescope uh, focuser. Um, they've got a corrector plate, and that makes them uh, basically a Schmidt Newtonian, I think. So um, it's it's a bit of a unique design. You don't see too many of those around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the advantage there is that it's fast, making it small, reasonably portable and uh, has a relatively wide field of view. Sort of the unfortunate part is back in 84, of course, um, everybody's only using one and a quarter inch eyepieces. So mm. um, sort of your, your lowest power, widest field that you're gonna be able to, to get out of that is about a, uh, like a 24 millimeter panoptic or, or something to that effect is, is probably mm. gonna, gonna give you the maximum field, I think. Yeah. 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 That is the unfortunate part about some of the older gear is it's, it doesn't either accept inch and a quarter or in just about all cases, none of them accept two inch stuff without, you know, modifications. 
Yeah. And it would be pretty significant uh, modifications because I think like part of the apparatus is actually attached to the uh, corrector plate. So yeah, but they're just so cool looking. They're like sort of a Halloween orange, that old Celestron orange. And it says like Celestron or comic catcher. And it's, it, I mean, to us now it looks vintage, um, but you know, I don't know. I would, I, I apparently had seen Comet Haley or Comet Holly and uh, in 84, but I was, I was rather young, uh, rather young person. And I find like, if I, if I get woken up at night, not of my own sort of setting an alarm to get up to do astronomy. And this is, this is really before I was doing any, any really self-motivated astronomy, but I think my dad got me up and took me out and apparently he saw it or I saw it or we saw it or I, I have no recollection of it though. So if he saw it, then, then I guess he saw it, but um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember. I was, I was uh, a very young person anyway, so I, I could just simply be, be forgetting it. But uh, did you see Comet Holly when it was around? Well, similar actually. Like I remember my dad taking me out with binoculars uh, to look for it. And I think he, we saw it, but like, I have no memory of it either. Yeah. Um, I had an interest in the night sky, but you know, I, I, like I remember looking through binoculars too, when I was young and not being able to see anything. Like, I just don't think I had the eye placement right or, or, you know, the binoculars with the IPD, you know, correctly positioned yeah. for my eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, Cause sometimes too, like kids can't really use adult binoculars all that well. Sometimes they're just, they're, they're too widely spaced for, kid eyes so um, yeah anyway i i don't i don't actually have a memory of the observation i have memories of trying to see it whether we did yeah. or not I, i'm not sure yeah the the best uh small person i ever observed with, he's not a small person anymore he has his own kids is is my nephew um my sister had him when he was when she was a bit young but uh anyway i used to take him out to do some observing when when he was small and he was amazing like, like he, he is an amazing person anyway. He's, he's somebody who is, uh, is a very hands-on um, person. He actually um, builds radio transmitters and this is sort of an aside, but when I was down in, I was down in Hawaii, um, I was down in Hawaii on, uh, on uh, Haleakala and I was staying at the, uh, at the, there's like a bed and breakfast that technicians will stay at. So I was staying at, at this, uh, this technician bed and breakfast. And so we were the only people there. And then uh, every, every other day or so, there'd be like a new technician who came in. So this, this person was there for a while and we were having breakfast one day and I said, Oh, what are you, what are you doing? You know, on the mountain, he was asking me about what I was doing, kind of laughing and making fun. Cause I was really struggling with the altitude, you know, it's over 10,000 feet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and and he said, oh, I'm installing radio transmitters. And I said, oh, is it a such and such transmitter? And he like drops his fork and just stares at me. He said, how, how would you know that? And I'm like, my nephew built it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, they're like the best ones. They go all the said They are the best ones. Or he worked for uh, whatever the public broadcaster is down there. And they were swapping uh, all there is out for these ones that, that are built in Nova Scotia where I'm from. So anyway, he just couldn't believe it. <laughs> so anyway, and, uh, I think he sent me a photo of it too. So I actually end up, I actually end up seeing a photo of it on the shop floor. Cause my nephew was, was building it and they did a video because it was going down there mm -hmm. and it was on the local uh, news feed. And then this guy had a photo of it being installed at the top of the mountain. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jeez. Anyway. Small world. Small world. So I also see that there's a 24-inch F2 reflector for sale. And yeah. uh, why I raise this for you is that it's designed to be used with a 31-millimeter Nagler to give a one-degree <laughs> field of view. So Shane, this, this telescope is basically yeah. built for you, and uh, I look forward <laughs> to seeing it this summer. Well, um, <laughs> I guess I should start maybe some some change management with you so that you're not heartbroken <laughs> when it doesn't show up. Um, no, I, you know, I, I, I would love to look through that. Let me tell you a uh, 24 inch yeah. F 4.2 would be incredible. Um, yeah. I just, you know, I don't want to own it. Um, uh, one, one of the, uh, I like to, I like to fish as well. You know, I like to go fishing and um, a, a quote that really has stuck with me because I think it's so true. Is don't is, catch um, a fish bigger than you can eat. <laughs> well, that, that does probably fall into, or it, it lands on the list. <laughs> no, but the, the best boat is the one that your buddy owns, uh, that you don't have to maintain, yeah. that you don't have to launch, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I feel the same way about large aperture telescopes. You know, yeah. uh, the, the best reflector, uh, the best big reflector is the one that Mike owns because he's, he's the guy that sets it up and brings it out and lets us look through it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I did a lot of observing with, uh, I, I mean, I don't know how famous he is, but he's, he's, he was somebody I knew of before I moved to uh, Ontario and that's uh, Peter Bicure. And uh, and he's uh, he's a large aperture telescope maker, and uh, man, it was it was just a dream to to observe with him and his and his uh, observing partner Mike, because they would go and build like try to try to outbuild each other on building like a sixteen inch telescope or something, which which to them is like a moderate sized telescope, but they had actually build uh, or built instruments up to twenty nine and a half or thirty inches wow. uh, when I was there, and. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a whole different, uh, game. I mean, for them, the, the hobby of amateur astronomy is, is about building telescopes. Um, the looking through them is, is just like testing them really mm -hmm. in so many ways. I, I don't, I mean, they're, they're, those guys are good observers and really, really fun, uh, guys to hang out with both uh, under the night sky and, and at the pub. Um, but, uh, I mean, just the approach is just amazing. I think he did a recent video, uh, for the RISC on uh, on grinding mirrors, he's always grinding mirrors and and doing this this kind of stuff. But he had built at one point in time, can't remember if it was 24, 25 inches. It was maybe I feel like it was twenty five inches, and it was uh, I forget maybe like an F five or four point seven or something. But anyway, he built it as what's called a low rider design. So it had a tertiary mirror. So typically a Newtonian has the primary mirror, then it has a secondary mirror and the light uh, comes through, bounces off the primary mirror, which is in the bottom, and then hits the secondary mirror and then comes out at a 90 degree, at a 90 degree angle. Um, and then you sort of have to observe it up high. But what he did is he got a military surplus, like eight inch, uh, and it was a weird octagonal design. Um, usually they're like a, an elliptical secondary, but his was this bizarre uh, shape. And then uh, he had it on an angle. I forget, maybe it was like 33 or 66 degrees, some, some weird number. And then it came down and then it hit um, like a diagonal. Um, and then it came out um, at, at this, at this other angle um, to make it so that you could actually sit 
uh, like in just a regular observing chair and, uh, and, and have this instrument pointed uh, in the sky. So you didn't have to be up on a ladder or anything. And not only that, but he had, had built it out of this uh, composite material. I, I believe it was of his own uh, creation. It, it almost looked like fiberglass, but it was way lighter. I think the whole telescope, keep in mind, this is a, a 25 inch, I think like an F4.7 or 4.8. Um, and he had used carbon fiber strings um, for much of the design. And I believe the whole thing weighed 80 pounds. So hmm. I think That's pretty it's, light for something that large. I think it's, it was noted as being the largest, lightest telescope in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think like a 25 inch F4.8 with uh, a weight of 80 pounds or so, maybe it was 85 pounds. Anyway, it's well under hundred pounds. Cause I remember he could pretty much pick it up. Like two people could pick it up easy and it didn't, it wasn't even that heavy. It was just awkward. Wow. Um, but uh, the pointing of it was almost a nightmare. Like it took like, it was, you need like Herschel's team running it almost, <laughs> right? <laughs> But, uh, yeah. but it was so fun and we'd be, we were, he would take it up and sit up at a star party. And I remember one night they put it on a uh, few things I got to observe for a long time. One was the Pleiades and I spent just um, probably, and it was kind of uh, the type of telescope where uh, very much like Herschel's where you'd want to point it at an object and then kind of just observe that object for, for much of the night. And it was kind of like that where you'd get it on an object and you weren't going all over the sky like like we do when we observe. You're you're going out. You're going to look at three or four things, and that's what we would do. Um, but man, you would get a really good view of them. And one night we observed, or maybe it was the same night, observed the Pleiades and observed um, NGC seven thousand and nine, which is the uh, which is the Saturn Nebula. And you could really see it. You could like I could see not only the shape of the Saturn nebula, but I could, I could see kind of details in what would be sort of the, the areas that are like the rings, you know, I mean, wow. it was, wow. it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big aperture is amazing. I love, I love looking through it. Like, you know, Vance Petru's 20 inch obsession is incredible. Um, but when I climb the ladder to look at the eyepiece and then, you know, see him, you know, up and down the ladder, looking at star charts back up the ladder and then, you know, loading this thing into his trailer, like his telescope has a trailer. <laughs> I just, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, having that in my life. Although I appreciate everybody that does do that. And, you know, that gives out, you know, views, allows other people to look through these huge telescopes because, you know, a lot of the stuff I've seen through these large apertures, um, you, those, those views will be memories that I have for life because it's, it's quite incredible. Yeah, but I mean, again, like it ends up being like a special occasion when these instruments get set up, because yeah. they just they just don't really get used uh, that much. Like with Peter's scope, he would just take it to the star party, and that was kind of that was more or less it. I think that was the only time I ever looked through it because it was uh, not heavy, but it was just uh, a lot of work to to get it together and get it working properly. You'd almost need a night to, to tweak it and get it running, and then the next night. Um, you could really start to start to observe with it. Um, my understanding was he kind of tore it down and has either rebuilt it or is in the process of, of rebuilding it. Um, so hopefully, hopefully one day I was kind of hoping to get him to come out uh, with it at, at some point because uh, uh, it was just, just a, his telescopes are absolutely astounding uh, optically. Um, 
and and a lot of fun. I think they took some. He may have taken that one or another one down to like Stellafane, um, which is a big telescope making uh, conference down in uh, Vermont every year. Um, I've been to the location. I've never been to the star party. But anyhow, so yeah, I think that's that's pretty much all I all I have to say about that, Shane. Yeah. The, the only other thing uh, that I'll add to uh, the events of the previous week here is um, I attended the local club's astronomy meeting Friday night. Um, and the, the kind of the tradition is the first meeting of January is a gear show and tell night where people talk about new gear that they acquired for Christmas or, you know, recently. And, and uh, two things of note stood out. Um, one of them was uh, in a, a like an occulting bar insert uh, into, you can put it into any inch and a quarter eyepiece. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to contact the guy uh, offline here uh, that has it. Cause he didn't, I don't think he mentioned where he got it from. Yeah. And huh. uh, I, I would be curious That'd about, be cool. you know, acquiring one of those. And then um, another one that was really interesting um, is uh, one of the, one of the members has a, recently acquired a 3d printer and was showcasing just all this stuff that he printed, you know, dovetails and and shoes and and all sorts of interesting stuff. Um, he mentioned that uh, there's a whole bunch of astronomy designs on, I think it's thingiverse.com. Uh, he said there's even a design to 3D print your own eight-inch Dobsonian on there. Yeah, yeah, I was I was actually Thing Universe. Yeah, I was on there Thing the other universe, day uh, uh, looking at it because I think we had. Um, a listener right in, uh, is it Justin who, who was yeah. printing stuff? Yeah. So, cause yeah. I think he either mentioned it or I, I was looking around for, for something based on, on his recommendation. I think, do you have him lined up to actually meet with us and, and do a podcast here in the coming weeks? Yeah. Yeah. One of our listeners, uh, named, uh, Justin does a lot of 3d printing and he, um, I think he was given a, a an Orion ST 80, and what caught my eye, he sent us some photos and, and mm-hmm. he had 3D printed the rings and a dovetail. Um, so through email correspondence, um, asked, you know, would, would you be interested in, in coming on the podcast just to talk about 3D printing and, and you know, its um, sort of association or how it can be used with astronomy? And mm-hmm. he agreed. So I think uh, later this month here in January, uh, Justin will uh, be... Uh, one of the guests on the show, and we'll talk all about cool. 3D printing. Phil uh, from the UK does a lot of 3D printing as well. Um, you know, I think we've tweeted some photos of his uh, Supermod 76 with uh, some 3D printed parts on there. So it's a it's a fascinating part of the hobby, I think, because you can basically do anything with a 3D printer, uh, depending on the size of the printer, I suppose. But uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to that I, episode. I always say the 3D printer was the... Uh, was the least profitable invention ever created because the first one cost like ten thousand dollars, but the next one was free. <laughs> Is that how all right, <laughs> all right. With that, uh, with a terrible, terrible joke, uh, we will conclude today. I think, unless you have anything else to add, Shane. That is all, my friend. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to ask us questions or leave feedback, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy, or you can email us. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. 
And if you would like to support the podcast with a donation, uh, we are selling merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash actual astronomy. We wish you all clear and dark skies.